Hello, and welcome to Cinder and Hops, the podcast where we put our guards down, take up a drink and a smoke, and enjoy conversation together. My name is David, and each time we get to sit down, we'll be tackling a new topic, and nothing is off limits. From theology to politics, Marvel vs. DC to small business, pop culture to cultural taboo, if you're talking about it, odds are so are we. The goal is that after the last ember falls and the last sip is down, we can find something that we do agree on, because that's what this podcast is all about, reclaiming conversation in a split world. Just like the movies, man. It's awesome. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for listening to A Glimpse of the Kingdom. I I am David Pendergrass. <laughs> no, I no, no. Am. No, I am David Pendergrass. <laughs> <laughs> this is really cool. This is a different kind of podcast. I'm excited. The other day, uh, at the time of this recording, it was a couple months ago, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, I got it's been at least a month. A, yeah, maybe a month. I got an email <laughs> from a guy named David Pendergrass. And I've gotten emails through the years that are junk emails and whatnot. And this one, though... Uh, glance that my, you know, it's, a, it's very fast. My first thought was David Pendergrass, this is safe, hacked into my account, whatever, because that's happened before. Um, oh man, on my professional website, right? And right. then I thought, then I saw uh, the university.edu, and I thought, well, that's legit, unless they hacked into the edu or they're lying or whatever, right? And then I read the email, I thought, well, this person can spell, <laughs> and then, <laughs> that's right, so, I can spell real grammar. And it seemed legit. And uh, so anyway, I, I thought, how about that? And so anyway, yeah, I, uh, there's a David Pendergrass reaching out to me who was going to start a podcast. <laughs> and so we started uh, chatting via email. And so, yeah, so welcome to the podcast today is the other, one of the other, I guess <laughs> there's not many of us out there, but another no. David Pendergrass. Thank you. It's, it's, a, it's a blast to be able to do this. This is, this is eerie and fun and crazy That's all at the same time. And, and what's your middle name? Michael. Michael. Oh, good biblical. So it is the inverse of your first num your first letter. Well, I'm William. Right, but I'm saying like W and M are inverses. Oh, right. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. And uh, what was cool, which we'll talk about here in this podcast, uh, when David and I chatted a while back, I guess it was now, we were chatting about what he does, and I want to hear some of his story, a little over his testimony, but also we start talking about the importance of theological education. David is also a Christian and cares much about theological education. And I was telling David about my podcast, uh, how I talk about often the great need that we have for that uh, in scholarship. Amen. Before I do that, before that's a little more serious and whatever, I had a little something <laughs> fun. My wife right. just thought it was the best thing ever that there's another David Pendergrass who reached out to me. <laughs> what does your wife think, by the way? Who's also she thought writer. it was hilarious and awesome. Yeah. And so whenever we, whenever we talk about you, it's like, I'm going to go talk to the doctor, David the Pendergrass. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, his, his, uh, David's wife is a redhead. And uh, of course I am yep. a redhead. And now everyone's going to Google you and see what you, if they already know what I look like, they're going to see, uh, yeah. David, has, the other David, uh, has black hair. That's black. Oh, it's, it's brown. Brown. Um, it's, it's, it's a darker brown. It is. Darker. Um, He's got a beard, uh, which we'll talk about his beard magic a little bit. I'm growing my, my, my son said right when this, uh, at the time of this recording, the virus pandemic has been out for about a, what, a month, six weeks or something. Yeah. Something like that. And, a few weeks ago, my son said, Dad, you'd love to grow it out, Dad. And so I've been doing a little bit. I hadn't had my beard out this long in a while. Okay, so my wife thought it was really cool. And she said, well, if you're going to do a podcast with him, you have got to ask him some fun questions. And uh, yes, said, let's do it. Sure, honey. Whatever you want, honey. <laughs> yes, uh, one of the, I know the answer to one of these, but it was funny. So when I grew up, I, I'll give... 
well, I'll ask you first and I'll tell yeah. you mine. But, well, except this, we already know the answer is, uh, what was your, do you have a nickname or what was your nickname? Yes. So, um, my, I don't really have a nickname anymore. Now that I'm out of college and out of that sort yeah. of mentality, I don't really hear it very often, but when I do, mm-hmm. it just it, it hits me right here and it just feels real good. Um, my nickname in college was Pindar. Um, so I worked at a place called Bung Clarkin and it's in the uh, Flat Rock Mountains uh, or the, the Blue Ridge Mountains up there in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Oh, so okay, I worked yeah. there in the summers, every summer after high school, all the way through my um, the summer before my senior year at Erskine. And one of my good friends who worked there with me and he, he predated me by at least a year or so. And he was at training before I got there. I walked in first summer training and he was there sitting in these couches in the, the lodge where everyone stayed, where all the guys stayed. And he turns to me and goes, your name is Pendar from now on out. I'm just like, I think he played okay. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons or something. Um, yeah. And so then it just created all kinds of confusion. Like people thought my last name was spelled with an A rather than an E. Um, Pen Dragon came out every so often. And then when I got out of college, I worked at Best Buy for a number of years. And a lot of my um, managers or, you know, colleagues in the leadership world would, would just take Pinned or mm-hmm. Pender or something and attach it to anything else. Mm-hmm. Like Pender Clipboard, uh, <laughs> Pender Man, um, Pender Boss, Pender Visor. Actually, Pender Visor was probably stuck the most as a supervisor for a period of my time. Uh-huh. And so all of my employees, all of the other employees in the, in the store would call me Pender Visor. Um, and then a buddy of mine from college called me Pendy and I called him Flindy. Um, cause his <laughs> name was Reed that, That's the one that when I was in high school, my, one of my very best friends, he nicknamed me Pendy. And so to this day, that's, that's my email address and uh, all that stuff. My <laughs> gamer tag on, on Xbox is Pendy the King. It's very humble. Pendy the, Pendy King. the King. So Pendy, that's a common one. That's uh, awesome. You, did you grow up having a hard time people understanding how to spell Pendergrass? Um, yeah, I, I remember telling people to spell it P E N like the pen like you write with D E R like der, and then grass, like the green grass outside, because growing up, I couldn't spell the word grass because it has the other word in it. And <laughs> it just, I wasn't ever going to say that I did get in high school sometimes Pendergadonkey. I never that, heard that. that, that I'm, I've never heard that. Pendergr- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's pretty, that's funny stuff. <laughs> Mine, it's amazing how incompetent people are able to spell the name Pendergrass. Ev- almost every time I spell it, I go, oh, just like it sounds, you know. Yes. And my, my wife used to laugh at me because she'd hear me on the cell phone uh, or whatever, back then as a real phone, uh, back when we were <laughs> dating and stuff, and she'd hear me spell the name, and I would say Pendergrass, P-E-N-D-E-R, grass, as in mow the grass, Saturday. And she laughed yeah. me, why do you do that? I said, because they get, and then we got married. And now she always does the same. <laughs> yep. She goes, because you'll get Pendergrast with a T at the end. You'll the get Pendergrast with two yeah. Fs. Bless our hearts. Anyway, yeah, so I'm also yeah. a Pendy. Okay, uh, and these are pretty fast here. I, I thought okay. we can compare uh, your favorite candy. <laughs> what's your favorite candy? Ooh, um, they're hard to find now, but the Fast Break from uh, Reese's. Fast Break. I think, it's, no, no, no. Okay. No, not that. Take Five from Reese's. Take Five, Take five is good. Um, I'm probably got peanut butter pretzels. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more of a Snickers guy. Oh, Snickers are good too. Snickers Sweet and salty still. Favorite movie? This is hard, I know, but just try to pick one of your favorites. Um, I think a movie that I could watch over and over again is really anything by Guy Ritchie. Um, so he oh, did Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, oh, Snatch, yeah. Rock and Roller. He just did The Gentleman. The Gentleman, yeah, was yeah. Amazing. I've already seen it twice. Yeah, he's he's um, a different kind of. Oh my gosh, I love the British humor, and I love, yeah, I, love British humor. I love that I come into every movie I know. 
that somehow we're going to see five plot lines and yes. somehow he's going to write them where they all come together in this yeah. epic finale. And I know it's always going to happen, but it always gets me every time. Yeah, you never know how he's going to do it. And it's so good. Yeah, he's he good. did Aladdin, the recent Aladdin. He did the live action Aladdin. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was, oh. he produced or directed that. Um, and he also did that King Arthur, King Arthur with um, Charlie Hunnam. That was kind of, uh, oh, okay. Wasn't too good. Um, but yeah, was, it was it was it was good. It wasn't as good as probably wasn't free to be what he really wanted to be. He had to have limitations. I bet the studio limited on him. Yeah, he had a little to different on that. I like some of his stuff, but favorite movie for me is more like Braveheart, Gladiator. Uh, I like big okay, scope, so like the period. Big, yeah, I like period. I love period films. I love big scope to, to okay. start small and go. I, I love big arch lines. That's my favorite. Uh, and then if I had a favorite screenwriter or director, it'd be I'm gonna be Aaron Sorkin, who did The West okay. Wing and The American President. Yeah. Anything Aaron Sorkin I love, basically everything. Okay. Uh, favorite author? Can't say Gospels or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't you say the Bible? Um, oh, man. Or one I of your favorites. I feel really bad because I don't really have a person. That Who's I'm one of your favorite of? Bible scholars or um, theologians? Whoever you like. <laughs> Again, I think I, I've read so many different textbooks. I don't know if I have like, an exact author that I really enjoy reading. Um, some of my okay. favorite books... I really enjoy reading comics. I really enjoy stuff that's kind of alternate history. Um, so I've been reading through slowly that um, Stephen King novel, the uh, 62369. It's about JFK's assassination and the guy um, going back in time and trying to stop it. Um, oh, wow. There's a book that I really like that I'm going back through. I read it once in high school. It's called uh, the, Ro- the, the Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. And it's basically how could Christ have explained the gospels from beginning to then to these two people on the road to Emmaus? And it goes through science and it goes through old Testament text, And it just, it creates this long kind of end to end look as what could he have said that would have so blown away these, these disciples um, mm. in explaining um, who Christ is. That, that's, that's probably also one of my favorite books. Um, I I tend to, I really need to get into uh, just reading more theology books for fun. I tend to read like the pop theology stuff. Like I've read some John Piper things I really like. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, it's it's just hard because when you're in seminary, everything is like a textbook. Like even pop theology books, oh, yeah. they still you're like how do I can't. It's hard to read a, a pop theology book for fun because you're oh, yeah. constantly wanting to make notes in it or try to remember something and. Yeah, yeah, he memorized everything. Yeah, that, that never goes away, by the way. No, oh, awesome, good. Uh, yeah, my favorite author is probably C.S. Lewis. And okay. as far as yeah. biblical specialists, I have other people, but he's my he's my go-to perennial guy he's good. and guide. Lewis yeah. has helped me think more clearly yeah. than probably any other author in the history of ever. And outside of biblical text, his are the mm. texts that I recommend the most all yeah. the time. I'm, I need to get his stuff. He's dead for 60 years, and he's still the man. J. Grayson uh, Machen, I'll give you that. Christianity and liberalism changed my world. Okay. If you've never read that, I think it's like a dollar on Apple, on Apple books. I don't use Apple products. I'm a Christian, but I understand. (laughs) That's right though. You can probably get on Amazon. Kindle. How many siblings do you have? I am an only child. Zero. You're only child. Okay. Well, I've got to work. (laughs) But my wife has two brothers. Your wife has brother. Okay. All right. A favorite Southern word or phrase. Favorite Southern word. Oof. Since you're in South Carolina, I know that counts. Yeah, yeah. Um, y'all, I that's can't my help. favorite. We I finally can't say it. Have you had, that's Man. my favorite Southern word. You have to say that. It's logical. I have to tell Southern. myself not to say it in emails because it comes out so naturally. 
And it's uh, hard for me to be more formal and not say y'all in an email. Uh, I say it. Oh. I'm proud. <laughs> favorite favorite dessert. Ooh. Anything with chocolate and peanut butter. Mm, I love chocolate peanut butter. Chocolate, chocolate peanut butter and ice cream is really favorite. good. Mm. What? Chocolate peanut butter and ice cream is good to me. Yes. Come on now. I put I'll put peanut butter on almost anything. Um, okay. just dial up that peanut butter on almost any ice cream makes it better. Ice cream. Preach. Okay, and the last <laughs> one. Very important. Favorite meal of the day, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Well, I've been doing an intermittent fast for like a year or more, so I don't eat breakfast very often, but uh, breakfast food is my favorite. Uh, I will kill favorite. some pancakes, French toast, Ooh. eggs, grits. Good now. It's got to be good grits. It can't just be now. any grits. Mm. Like, there's some grits that are just... Yes, Jesus. They they are bless your heart grits and yeah, bless you, your heart grits. you slowly scrape them off somewhere else. <laughs> what do you put on your grits? Um, if they're cooked well, maybe. Well, honestly, if they're cooked well, nothing because they have enough butter and salt in them already. Okay, um, about to say surely some but, butter and salt. Okay. Butter and salt and cheese. Honestly, I'll put cheese, yep. cheese. Maybe some break, uh, bacon sprinkles. Oh come on now! You put <laughs> uh, put um what's the word I'm looking for? Um, did you ever put sugar on it? No, I've seen little, that. A little bit of sugar. I don't know. Man, my, I grew up, I love that grits too, but I did a lot of malta meal and cream of wheat. Malta That's meal, have you heard that? That sounds Is very it? northern. I, know. I wonder, I wonder because my mom, who lived in Ohio for a long time in Alaska, I wonder if that's why, but as a kid, mm-hmm. I like that more than grits, and, but put that with some bacon in it. So. Okay, well, enough of that. Well, anyway, that was just kind of fun stuff. So I guess yeah. we have two things in common as far as that goes. So just very briefly, because <laughs> I obviously want to move on to the new theological stuff. But So what, what led you to reach out to me and, then, of course, tie yeah. into what, is, what are you doing now in your life? Yeah, that actually, they work together perfectly. Um, so I work for Erskine College now. Uh, specifically Erskine College, but just because of what I do, I end up talking a lot about Erskine Seminary as well. Um, they're the same institution, same name, same campus. Um, so I started back in September, and I, I'm looking to recruit specifically for students in high school, mainly. I actually do have a student potentially in the fall who's got to be in her 50s who wants to do this because she never got her bachelor's, and so she's looking to do her bachelor's and master's at the same time. I'm like, this is a perfect program if we can get you here. Real um, fast, er- yeah. where is Erskine for my audience? <laughs> so... Erskine is in South Carolina, generally, yes. but it's in Due West. And yes, Due West is a place. Um, it's in Due West, South Carolina, which is about 45 minutes south of Greenville, uh, about 30 or 40 minutes east of Anderson. And um, it's very, very west of like Charleston. Um, it's okay. about two hours or so, I guess, sort of west of Columbia. Um, it's in the upstate. But um uh, so I'm looking for students in my program that are called, they feel called to ministry. They feel called to do work in the kingdom, do work in the church, whether it's pastoral, youth, music ministry, children's ministry, um, something, something where you're going to be working in the church. Uh, and I know that's a very small number of kids. I mean, you're looking for students who are in their, you know, sophomore, junior, senior years of high school, and you're looking to pursue them. Um, that's, that's a needle in a haystack. And I get that, but I'm not looking to have a hundred students come into the Bible religion department. We're looking for 10 to 15 every semester would be awesome or every, uh, every fall would be awesome. Um, so while I was there or while I was doing my thing, working on ways to market, working on ways to reach out and connect with uh, people from Erskine, people outside of Erskine, I slowly began working on a podcast idea and I pitched it to communications and some, through some back and forth. We got it finalized. We got the equipment for it. Um, then we started to record some episodes and then, and then we started getting ready to, to, pub, to publish them, put them out on the, on the web, put them on different podcast networks or platforms. And uh, we got the first trailer out 
And so I started searching for Erskine Conversations. And then I started searching for David Pendergrass. And David Pendergrass hit things. And I was like, that's just weird. Why, why would David Pendergrass specifically bring not just one? Like if you go look up David Pendergrass on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, you should find a number of hits for the, the, the phrase David Pendergrass, which is really strange. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming it's picking up just Pendergrass for other podcasts, but still just the fact that Pendergrass is, is hits on numerous podcasts is just hilarious because it's not a common name. Um, so I found David Pinares and I was like, this is hilarious. And I honestly think I found you years ago. For some reason I was searching my name on, on Google or it might've been when I started my small business and found you and never did anything with it. Uh, cause when I, when I hit, hit you this time, I was like, this looks really familiar and this, mm -hmm. I feel like I've done this before. Um, but this time I was like, you know what? I got nothing to lose. I'll just reach out and see what happens. Um, and I figured if I reached out from a .edu, it would be more legit and it would honestly throw you off hopefully even more cause you'd be like, hold on, why is a Christian organization reaching out to me I, and with my last name. Um, and I was hoping to kind of freak you out a little bit. Like you freaked me out when I found you, um, <laughs> because I, I found you and I started, um, listening to some podcasts and then hearing someone else say my name and then hearing a second person, I think one of your like ads or something is a girl talking and, and saying David Pendergrass ministries and contact Dr. David Pendergrass at David at davidpendergrass.com. And it just, it cracked me up to, to hear my name, but not be referring to me. Yeah, right. um, and not even remotely referring to me like people right. that I don't know yeah. saying my name, <laughs> but saying my name in a parallel universe, so like That's things right. that I actually am passionate about and have connection to, uh -huh. but it's not me. So it was, that was really fun. It's not like a Julie Smith or some where people might hear their no. names often. Yeah, you never hear anyone ever call Pendergrass. I've yeah. heard Pendergast, which I kind of think is more yeah. the Irish etymology yeah. of it. Uh, but I still, I've never met another, you know, Anyway, well, there is one in Greenville or Spartanburg. I ran yeah. into one who's actually a vendor too. I met him at a vendor show and I was walking around oh. talking to vendors and I saw his business card. And it was Pendergrass. I'm like, you just don't see that. Yeah. it's it's uh, So which means at some level, well, and I'll, I'll explain this. We might be related then. Possibly. I do have a counter to that though. Um, so cool. my granddad who, uh, so my, obviously my granddad on my dad's side, uh, he actually was a Matthews that was adopted and took the surname Pendergrass. I was so, going to say, apparently my great grandfather was adopted. Yeah. What? I'm not kidding. So this, the, oh my gosh. The, fam the family story is that my dad told me that his great aunt told him uh -huh. that the family story was that their great. So I think it'd be my great grandfather. Is my great grandfather or my great, great grandfather. One of those uh -huh. uh, was adopted by the Pendergrass family that he was, they don't, I don't know why, but he apparently was. Okay. And so I did my genealogy. Uh huh a few years ago and it mm -hmm. came back mostly British and yeah, that's kind of, I mean. came back, but it showed my plot of DNA and it showed to the South and a lot of my, of the, of my DNA landed in Northern Texas, which is oh. where my dad's from. He's gotcha. from there in Grand Bear and Fort Worth. Okay. So it fit that little migration pattern very well. Huh. And uh, so that makes a lot of sense. And then I thought, well, mate, so I, we don't know for sure if the adoption story is true, but if it is, I did, the, you know, like I did the DNA thing where you can go on genealogy and go backwards. Yeah. And I got to that name. And there's a lot of John Pendergrasses and David Pendergrasses mm -hmm. in my lineage. Huh. John David Litt Pendergrass. And um, That's you know, I got to that guy and you can see the census report and there's multiple kids. But from what I've been told is that if you were adopted on the census, like in the census report, you can read it. It doesn't say mm -hmm. adopted in parentheses. It just, uh -huh. which child is there? And adoption mm -hmm. process is apparently quite easy. So it, it's huh. certainly possible. If all that to say, I don't know. Which is kind of discouraging because I can't, if I go past him, I mean, I can, but there's no proof that 
uh, it's the right of, person or anything. Yeah, it's the right person. I mean, so I don't know exactly. Um, and something that was kind of funny was a few years ago, my dad. And so obviously my name is David and I was named all my life. I thought all my life after my dad, who uh-huh. was uh, David Leroy Pendergrass. Growing up, everyone okay. called him Leroy because when he was, <laughs> when his mom was giving birth to him in the hospital, there was a man on the, the radio who was a comedian and it was a black man named Leroy. Well, Leroy was primarily a black name mm-hmm. in that generation. And so, but yeah. she thought it was funny, called him Leroy which of course from the French, from the Latin, La King. Anyway, so okay. everyone called him Leroy, but, but my dad's dad's name was David. So my dad always assumed they called him Leroy to distinguish dad and from, son. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, several years ago now, and I get maybe 10 years ago now by now, um, my dad said, oh, by the way, I found out my name's not David. I go, what? He goes, well, I, I had lost my social security card. I had to get it because it's about to retire and all the stuff. Oh, Come to gosh. find out my name never was David Leroy Pendergrass. It was Leroy Pendergrass. There's no middle name. There's no middle name. He said, and that's why everyone called me Leroy. I always thought it was just family. <laughs> and I said, Dad, who are you Hilarious. really? And so yeah. his name's not even I David. Even I wasn't, you. I don't even know who you are. It, <laughs> so we got a good <laughs> laugh out of it. So I'm actually not named after my dad. It's a fictional, it's named after my grandfather, I guess, which I don't want to be named. But anyway, I was just kind of funny. So all that to say, that's where my name, quote unquote, comes from. Right. What they thought. I don't know where David came from. I think it's just one of the names they were coming up with. Um, But just to think that if my granddad had not taken his adoptive parents' name, I'd been Dave Matthews. Dave, if if only. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But but then we wouldn't have had this conversation. Never, never would have happened. So you went. So obviously you're Christian. So you did your undergraduate at Erskine. Is that yep. right? And what was your what was your major there? So I was actually a Bible major at Erskine. Major. Um, so I was a Bible major, uh, biblical studies, and I was a politics or a poli sci minor. Um, gotcha. I planned on being a, a Bible philosophy double major, going to go get my MDiv, go get my PhD, and then come back and teach at Erskine. Um, that was my plan when I was like 17 or 18. Um, so God had some different plans, but things sort of happened in a similar kind of path, a little tangential um, back at Erskine, working on my MDiv, um, mm. but uh, I what's, what's I your MDiv it. in now? Is it well, a general MDiv or what is it? Yes, I don't think at least Erskine. I don't think distinguishes on paper what kind of MDiv it is. It's just okay. a Master Divinity. Um, it's it, I would say historically, it's it's very pastoral. Um, the goal of Erskine really is to to affect the kingdom in, in terms of pastoral ministry. Um, the MDiv, like at RTS, for instance, is very more academic than the MDiv. What is RTS? Uh, RTS is Reformed Theological Seminary. It's in Jacksonville, Florida. There's one in um, Orlando. There's yeah. one in, I'm sorry, Jacksonville, Mississippi, Orlando, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, it's it's a it's a similar seminary to Erskine, um, but they're a little more academic, kind of like Westminster. Westminster is a lot more academic with their MDiv. Um, Everyone who gets your MDiv there everyone gets the same degree. Everyone goes to the same, is it 90 hours roughly? Yeah. So they, everyone they have the same classes. They have, I'd probably say with exception to see there's six or nine classes. They're, they're essentially the same degree. Um, you have, I believe it's six electives. I'm trying to picture in my head, the MDiv sheet. And then That's there's no, I was just, uh, yeah, an yeah. old Testament, a new Testament exegesis class. Um, there's a missions course that I think is an elective course. You can fit in a couple of different missions options. Um, mm-hmm. So roughly that 90 hours is going to be very, very similar, gotcha. but it's a full, it's a full 90 hours. Like I know a lot of MDivs have been cutting corners and cutting you down to 72 hours. Yes. And yes. Things like that. This is a full 90 hour MDiv. And that's the same thing yeah. for this program I'm recruiting for. 
the market's been hard on. Yeah, I, I remember when I was leaving, they were talking about cutting out, cutting out, cutting out mm-hmm. because they were hurting. It's just hurting enrollment because people don't want and biblical languages. When I was there, is required, yeah. and they started making an option when I was leaving. And I remember thinking I wouldn't do. Um, but you know, <laughs> that, something we talked about the day that I thought was really good uh, that will at least emphasize the same thing is the necessity of some kind of theological training. Yeah. For people in general. Now, of course, obviously not everyone wants to go to school forever. Not everyone's called to do that. And I don't think right, everyone right. should do that. Right. But, I, but there's sure needs to be, oh, let me say it this way. I think mm-hmm. that Christians are under the moral obligation to do everything they can to be as informed as they can. Yeah. That's so to me, it's an issue of stewardship. Yeah. It's different from saying every single Christian should be as educated as professor whomever it's not that uh, right so right. what's your you. sales pitch to kids uh let's assume for a second they they weren't they don't necessarily feel called to ministry mm-hmm. but they think maybe they are and they want to get education they're going i don't know i don't see the use in it what yeah. would be your sales pitch to a person that says i'm not sure it's very useful to me why why go get a formal education mm-hmm. in bible i think um my first thing is to sort of bring up the devil's advocate side which is you know well you know, Peter and, and James and, and John and those guys, they, they didn't go through formal education. They go, eh, hold on a second. Let, let's think about this just sort of base level. Let's look at what the gospels say. Um, you know, they studied underneath, uh, to use historical terms, under, under a pharisaical leader, a rabbi. He knew his scripture. He knew his, um, his Torah. He knew the law. He knew the prophets. He probably knew all of the... Um, the commentary that a lot of the, the rabbis and the, the Pharisees knew at the time. Plus, I mean, he was also hundreds and God, hundreds of man. So take that as you will. Um, so they studied essentially under God. They ate his dust. They followed him around for three years and they still didn't get it right. Like my, my favorite story to, to go to just as a, just as a nice humbling reminder that if Peter and the other disciples did this, then and, and God still took them into the family, then he will take someone like me is after the, uh, the death and the initial resurrection. I think when he, when he first comes is, is resurrected and the, the women see that it's empty. And even I think Peter and, and John see that it's empty. I think it's like a chapter later, or maybe it's just one section later. They decided to go out and fish. Okay, like John that's what they know. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they, they know he, they know he's at least gone. Like maybe they're not totally convinced he was resurrected, but he's not there anymore, which is weird and odd and all that. And they just go back to fish. And you're just like, what are you doing? Like you, you followed behind the Christ and you go back to fishing. Like that's what you do. So for all the Christians out there who feel insufficient, remember you didn't go back to fishing after hearing the gospel, or maybe you still did, but that's okay. Cause God still came to them. God's like Christ still came to them where they were and he gave them the same thing he told them in the beginning, you know, cast her down to the side. Like he still dealt with them as a teacher to a student, as a father to a son, he still loved them. And so all of that combined, I think it's incredibly important that we continue to, um, that we continue to seek education. Um, mm-hmm. That, Another thing I'll sometimes point to is, you know, how many verses do you know? How many verses can you say, you know, off the bat, mm-hmm. just basic? I would say most Christians would say one to seven. And they are very small and they are parts of a passage. Um, you know, what do you think the average Jewish boy and girl knew at four or five years old? Or let's let's say six or seven. 
they pretty much had the Pentateuch memorized. Like, not memorized in the sense of, well, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, no, like they go Genesis 1 1 and that an end in the, in, at the end of Deuteronomy. Um, they just knew it. They knew it because it was important to them. They knew it because it was ingrained in their studies. They knew it because it was a part of their culture and a part of their faith and a part of their relationship with God. And it was important to them. We have lost that importance. We, we tend to now lean more on passion um, or emotion. Well, that's how we got a lot of the errors we're in today in evangelism in the church in America is because we had the Billy Sundays. It's because we had the, um, the people who, you know, just say a prayer, raise your hand and walk out a Christian. No follow-up, no discipleship, no mentoring, no nothing. Um, and so that is kind of a, a long-winded look at this is why education is important. We have got to be able to be, be able to defend the hope that we have. Um, because, and I was talking with my cousin, cause who's not a believer about this. I would say a lot of my personal des- desire to be able to help others and teach others is the first Peter three fifteen to be able to, you need to have a reason to finish for the hope that we have. And that harkens back to correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's in Romans eight where it says, um, you know, if Christ is not resurrected, then we above all should be pitied. I think that well, those two one are together. 15. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Thank you. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That those together, I think, are are bookends that that you see two apostles speaking a very similar um, bookend to the Christian faith. If Christ isn't resurrected, then we above all should be pitied, but He is resurrected. So we need to be able to have a reason to finish for the hope that we have. And so those kind of come together to sort of speak to what it is that I I believe is so important about educating the the lay Christian, whether it is through Sunday school, through um, seminars, whatever. Yeah, we've lost. I'm I'm with you, and I and I've said this before. I've said this to churches to which I've applied to be senior pastor before, but this all I won't go for a long time about this because I I could, but the church is not. I said this other day to a search team. I I did. I searched. uh, Yeah, well, that's what they were. Search committee search team. I said the church is not a democracy. And can you say more about that? And I said, well, it is not a democracy. And saying, of course, you probably know from the Greek demos crosses, two words, people rule. I said, it's not a democracy. We have zero evidence that the early church at all ever took a vote on anything. The closer we have to a voting process when the apostles voted themselves, which is a very bizarre thing they did in Acts to look for this. Right. Like, cool. I mean, it's just the a casting thing. lots thing. Yeah, and no one does. Which that is really anymore. more, I think, is trusting God. Like, Whatever it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Well, it's so going to happen, happens. But might as well just yeah. go. That's yeah, just the weirdest. We're going to toss a coin. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah. so the point is, but no weird. church did. Yeah. yeah, there's no church. The church believed in a spiritual giftedness. And of course, by the end of the close of the first century and second century, you got all the way to uh, Irenaeus and others who say you have to have a bishop present before you can do the communion and on and on. Mm-hmm. But there's no concept of voting. There's no concept of that. And it's not even a republic. Mm-hmm. That's very important as well. It's not a place where you vote these boards where they represent the people in the church. Right. As I explained to them, you know, as what we have to have, what they had to have, according to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians mm-hmm. 4, 1 Peter 3, I mean, on and on, is spiritual giftedness. Giftedness mm-hmm. ran. And yeah. if you look at, and most, well, every scholar that I know of yeah. agrees that Ephesians 4 is a good indication of the kind of level of authority. And so you first, mm-hmm. as Paul says, first you have apostles, mm-hmm. then you have prophets, then you have teachers and so forth. So the mm-hmm. order of a sequen- se- um, sequential order of authority in the church. Yeah. 
And then we have the book of Hebrews when he says, the things in Hebrews 10, where he says that uh, people should obey their leaders. And the word is obey, obey the leaders. And I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing here. Don't Basically, don't cause them grief. And I can go the verse out of verse, the examples in the New Testament, where what they did, in fact, is they believe authority came from giftedness and that certain people had certain roles and you're supposed mm-hmm. to respect the roles. The mm-hmm. people who are in those roles are supposed to do it lovingly and kindly and via the spirid and never, right. as he says, not lord it over people if you're a shepherd right. and all on. But yeah. there are roles and they have skill sets. And I said that that's the first thing. That's a, I, I think in the North American, particularly the Western church, they have not modeled themselves after the New Testament. They model themselves after the American dream. And then hmm. you particularly, particularly in Baptist denominations where it's a model where everything is everything is possible. Almost everything possible is up for a vote hmm. and you have to have committees. Oh, wow. Committees are you, the usual argument for committees in those kinds of churches is that if you don't do that, let me say in a positive way. It's the yeah. way to help people get involved and have some skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't do that. They're going to sell the sidelines. And I, I hear that. 20% I, thing. Yeah, that's you're right. Uh, which I, I, and I have, I'll go on for a long time. That, that really frustrates me. That, that's when you end up filling the committees of warm bodies because no yeah. one else will do it. In other words, you yeah. don't seek giftedness. You have so many committees just to make sure everyone's there. And then, of course, this republic idea that you have to have constituents represented in the effect in the elected leaders. Mm. It's just America all over. It's not New Testament. Uh, now, I say all that to say, and I mm-hmm. to stop myself on that, at least the, <laughs> the second point, which is I, I already fundamentally disagree with the way most churches do it if they take the route of everything's a vote. Yeah. Which coming from a free church, evangelical Protestant tradition like myself, that's very weird because I sound much more like Episcopalian right now and Lutheran. And I get it. But I I think that aspect of it is certainly more biblical. But but my second, my, my therefore point is one of the roles is having a teacher. Hmm. And the New Testament that was considered a spiritual gift. And so when I think about people who say, you know, what about Peter and James and whatever? Everybody knew in Judaism, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, you go back to... Nehemiah, which is great. They come back from the Babylonian exile. Mm-hmm. And it says specifically that they open the scripture they read together and the teachers walk in Ezra too. They mm-hmm. walked among the crowd, teaching them how to do it. And you have, of yeah. course, the great passage in Acts and the Ethiopian eunuch. And how will I understand Isaiah if no one teaches me? These kind of things. Right. There's something Jewish and Christian about being a student and learning mm-hmm. that is missed if everything is A, built on your passion and two, a democracy. Yeah, And, and I would say that's it just is, it can be a dangerous thing for one's faith if you have that misunderstanding. It's very healthy and Christian for someone to understand that there are people, ideally in a Christian community, who are gifted by God to be teachers. Mm-hmm. And I, by church, I don't just mean at local church down the street on a Sunday morning. I mean a part yeah. of the ministry of the church, which means university. Big C church. The, right, big C church. That's right. Who mm-hmm. are gifted doing that. Now, that doesn't mean everybody needs to go to of course, Erskine College, yeah. as you said, or my schools yeah. where I went to, Baylor University and whatever, to get the education. Yeah. But I, right now, I'm, I'm arguing against the fundamental belief that I don't need. I just need me, Jesus, and an oak tree, or me and King James Bible, right. and that's all I need. Yeah. yeah. To which I would say, maybe maybe for salvation, but not for maturity. And if you yeah. say that yeah, it is all you need, yeah. you're going against all of the evidence <laughs> of the New Testament. And that's what's bothersome for me. And mm-hmm. David, of course, is bothersome because you're an intellectual and you just want to think about things all the time. Well, maybe that's true. That's yeah. Not- well, no, it's 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 definitely not untrue sometimes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, maybe. But be quiet. Uh, yeah. Listen. But, 
but my reasoning genuinely, my passions for it is because it fits on personality type, but my yeah. reasons for it is because it's based on the new Testament. Yeah. And I encourage people who are new Christians all the time, but whether I lead them to Jesus or not is to encourage them to get involved in some kind of disciple relationship, find a mentor, find someone who yeah. can help you learn and don't sit back and just say, I can either, no, no, I'm fine. I just need to be a full pack. I just, and then, and I won't get started. Well, I guess I will, but then we chat about <laughs> some of this the other day. And then you, you see evidence of this and this free church, free church, non-denominational tradition that's happened in our lifetime, in our lifetime, mm-hmm. that is almost anti-educational. Now, that, that derives from a charismatic Pentecostal movement that is this little yeah. anti-education. And then yeah. I'm all that way, but it, it, it derives from that. Yeah, it's got to start and somewhere. I, yeah. It got to start. But, but my point is, even now, though, it becomes the normal mode of operation. At, uh, mm-hmm. For example, for example, at Willow Creek, which is, of course, massive Willow Creek Church, been there forever and ever and ever in Illinois, uh, the pastor was canned and fired because of sexual allegations. It's just depressing or whatever. So he leaves and he's Mr. Leader. Yeah. He's been at all the conferences for years and years and years. So he's canned. Yeah. And then they're looking for a new pastor. I know that because I applied for it, thinking they're never going to hire me because I don't fit that, whatever. It said in the job description, I, I quote, uh-huh. no formal education required. None. Man. This is one of the largest <clears throat> churches in the world. And it says you don't need to have any formal training. That's I insane. I cannot articulate how stupid that is. And yeah. dangerous and silly. The person da- and dangerous on a, on a level that's so much uh, higher than this world. Yeah. Oh. The, the person who, man or woman, I'm sure will be man, who proverbially and literally has the microphone there, influences hundreds of thousands of people, all the podcasts yeah. and the stuff, and you don't have to be trained. Now, does that you mean don't God can't use the person? Of course, God, of course, of course, God can That's, still use them. Yes, we're not saying that. It's not all what it's, the point of this whole argument. It's not either the or. It's why would you not? I cannot grasp. Yeah. I can't, I can't grasp. That's not so. I, I guess I've yet to be persuaded. And um, but mm. so in your background, obviously mm. coming from that background, going to formal education and uh, how, how does your tradition, so say a little more about your particular denominational affiliation, uh, reform yeah. and so forth, and how it relates to this maybe need for theological education. So yeah, um, looking at kind of my tradition. Um, so I come from a Presbyterian background, which is very structured governmentally. Um, and then uh, within the Presbyterian governmental structure, I come from the more reformed background in theological systems. Um, and I feel necessary to say systems because it's not that I am reformed and then I'm Christian. It's just that that's the way that I feel like the scriptures are best interpreted. Um, okay. Looking, what does reform mean to you? Yeah, yeah. I think reformed is most easily um, hold on is most easily represented as um, the five solas, essentially. Looking at it's through Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone, um, by the word of God alone, and that's. Those five things I think best understands reformed generally. Um, I tend to fall more along the lines of Calvin's look at, and I, I think we talked about this before, but I hate saying Calvinist or Calvinistic or um, anything like that. Cause that really was, I was talking So the guy I was talking to you about uh, earlier, we did a, a reformed takeover podcast for uh, my, my podcast. And he's like, it basically is, it's a dirty word using the term Calvinist um, or whatnot, because it's, it was, insul- it was an insult at first. So was the whole tulip structure. That was all an insult to sort of demean 
um, Calvin and his theological structure. Uh, but the concept of total depravity, um, unconditional grace, limited atonement, irresistible grace, or, um, unconditional election, sorry, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Um, that is how I look at the way, basically, it's, it's, it really kind of comes down to a sovereignty question. Um, where do you place God's sovereignty? Do you place it full or do you place it with hindrances or where mankind allows certain things to happen based on what they do and say? Um, I would argue that scripture is pretty clear on two points that God foreknows and has predestined all things. And somehow through the mystery of God, we also have free will and scripture passages have both things shown. I don't know how it works exactly, but I also can't disagree with what scripture says. So that, that to me is kind of how I look at my system of theology uh, generally. Gotcha. What adjective would you use if, uh, if you were characterizing those distinctives, which are distinctive, mm-hmm. not unique, but distinctive yeah. in the history yeah. of Christianity, what adjective, if you don't use the term Calvinist, you wouldn't use, would you say reformed? What um, adjective would you use? I, I guess reformed is really the, the most innocuous form because it is, okay. it, it is what the reformation was built on when they separated from the Catholic church. Those five points, the, the five solas are, I think indisputably scriptural. Um, where you, where you get into the more Calvinist concept of reformation is where you can have some debate and discussion over limited atonement or um, unconditional election right. or uh, perseverance and things like those are where you can get a little more debatey. And and that's, that's why I find the term useful, but I, I fully understand here what you're saying the history of it. I, I yeah. find the term, the adjective Calvinist helpful for what you, for the reason you just stated, which is mm-hmm. I'm also part of the reformation as a Protestant. Right. I will concur a Hardly with the five, five soul and uh, yeah. Melissa Sola. He's he's quoting a Latin term solo, which means alone or only. Yeah, which yeah. It sounds like a logical nonsense. You say it's five onlys, but they yeah. all have different <laughs> context. Right. Um, anyway, so right, but this the kind of flavor of reform that came out of the Reformation that felt Jean Calvin, the French lawyer. Of, yes. uh, right. So Calvin's view of the Reformation and. Whitfield and others are, is distinct from Wesley's and on and on, but different mm-hmm. authors, anyway, historians, oh, man, Wesley. historians know that. So you have various the children of the Reformation. Yeah. What's always bothered me historically speaking is when people, I don't want to, again, I keep wondering about Calvinists, people who follow that stream of the sovereignty yeah. and the tulip or whatever, uh, use the reform as if it is the term that best explains them. But of course, that's false because there are numerous other people who fall in the category of, uh, who are also reformed who don't concur with the same theological points. Mm. It's a it's a subcategory. It doesn't fear. It just means a subcategory. So I've always right, been yeah. curious. Umbrella. Uh, and then, right, and I've always been curious. It, it, and I'm I'm if a term no, is unhelpful, to... I'm all I'm all happy to change terms when they're when they are unhelpful. In my goodness, right. uh, <laughs> I, mean, I just never figure out what term to use. Yeah, uh, and, I, um, and also, and the, the problem with the, the problem with the term Calvinism, as everyone knows, is that Calvin himself didn't come up with all the ideas, but he's certainly right. the most vocal exponent and expositor of these things. Yeah. And, ju- and he just was no a more than smart a, dude. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, just like everything that's called Augustinian, Augustine didn't come up with all the ideas. I mean, on and on. Luther didn't either. Yeah, it's some. But they're the big players. And- and there are big right. players, the people who did form the thoughts the most. And John Calvin is certainly, I had a class in my master's degree just on John Calvin hmm. and Calvinism. And uh, so we, we studied a lot of his work and primary material, yeah. secondary stuff. Um, 
So all that to say, yeah. that's one of the problems of Calvinism is you say, well, he didn't cramp all the ideas. Yeah, but. He's the big <laughs> right. One. He's just, anyway, for whatever anyway, reason, historically it stuck around. It stuck around. And um, what, in, uh, as, as you know, I, I'm not, I'm reformed, but I don't find Calvin's reading of the text persuasive. Hmm. But what I, I, I was thinking since then, and I've thought for years and years, years, I used to once a year, I used to read a whole lot. I mean, this is 20 years ago. Right, I used right. a whole lot on the issue because I, I don't want to be mistaken. I, I want to be able to, right. I want to, to, to me, uh, the issues of interpretation are always about exegesis. Mm-hmm. I don't start yeah. with philosophical presuppositions. I don't start with hmm. big players. And I don't mean to disrespect as an unchristian way, but I don't care at all what John Calvin said or Augustine mm-hmm. or Luther. I don't give a, I care right. what Jesus said or the church said. In other words, right. it's, it's always a chronology and a sequence. As step one is what Jesus said, and we go from there. And yeah, then yeah. I listen to interpreters. And that's any interpreter, right? Whether it's, I love I love me some Tommy Wright. I don't have everything he says, but I've been with it. And our Larry Hurtado, on and on. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, they're not Jesus and so forth. So they're guides. I listen to them mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. But my point is, I, I used to read heavily to figure out that. Then, then I got to where my mind was, I found things pretty persuasive. And then like once a year, I'd go back and revisit. And I'd read a book by a Calvinist or a Reformed person. And mm-hmm. then when it was not. And then I'll do that usually for a long time. And finally, I just stopped because I thought I had grasped all the major exegetical arguments and even some philosophical. Right. But I'm not a expert expert, but I've read a lot of literature from scholars in, who are in the Calvinist reform camp and those mm-hmm. who are not scholars on popular, like a John Piper. I've read people yeah. from, there was a series a few years ago, a series, well, it was two books came out. Uh, uh, Greg Olson. Is it Greg Olson? I never remember his first name. Robert, Roger, Roger Olson. Uh-huh. Uh, he teaches at Baylor now, but for a long okay. time he did it. And uh, he's a very well-known non-reformed non-calvinist he's i don't know what he called him arminian i guess he called himself he has a blog and whatnot he yeah. wrote a book with another guy and i can't remember the guy's name right now the top of my head uh, but it was this, a book two books one was called for calvinism mm-hmm. one was called against calvinism hmm. and the one for calvinism and they're short books but they're good they're power packed the one for calvinism uh he and i'm kind of going somewhere about labels and titles he he did yeah, yeah. Uh, he did a fine j- job. It was okay. Uh, he did it okay articulating. Uh, I'm not saying, I mean, I didn't find his con- all of his conclusions persuasive, but he did okay. Olson's book was much better because Olson said there are about four or five, I'm par- this has been years ago, three, four, five major categories of the kinds and that subcategory of reform or Calvinists. And there's the hyper Calvinist, the so-and-so Calvinist, you know, on and on. And he would cite, authors in each category and then go through that. And I found that more helpful because he just was more exhaustive. My point of that is and all these labels and all the titles. One thing I learned years ago was that, and I find this to one is this discussion and Christians have become, which will lead into your podcast in just a second. Um, I got tired of it because some of the worst vitriol that I've ever heard from so-called Christians are on the discussion of whether or not, we should understand how do we understand God's sovereignty and these doctrines of grace and all that they're so called. Uh, I mean, Christians are to be punks. I mean, both ways. It's a punk. And I remember going that part of it's my personality, which I don't like to debate. I love discussion, but but it's beyond debate. I mean, they were just and of course it frankly it fits Calvin. Calvin was very rude in his commentaries. If you hmm. disagree with Calvin, you were a reprobate, you've gone <laughs> to hell, you're filled with Satan. I mean, he was full of slanderous interesting full of it go read his commentary on romans I, this one thing that i brought up my my research paper uh, okay. 
So the father of the movement set the tone very, very well, I guess. Uh, but a lot of people were just very hateful. That makes me frustrated. But the second thing was, I found that people ended up debating so much what labels were that I mm-hmm. thought we, we couldn't get to the actual substantive issue of, okay, well, let's just talk about the text versus right, right. you believe you Calvinists. No, 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 no. Calvinists don't believe that. And, and yeah, they don't yeah. reform and we're, and it ended up being debated what the, the designations were. And that it's kind of, to me, it reminds me of atheism and a lot of atheists and Christians get bogged down in debating the, what the etymology of the term atheist. Mm-hmm. No, no, it doesn't mean I don't believe. It means I don't believe God exists. It's not that the problem and on and on and on, which they're fault. They're wrong. But it, right. it, one is kind of like a red herring that gets it doesn't get anywhere, and so um, I get that. All, I get that. All that spill, and I'll stop talking here in a second. But my point is, I'm fully on board with using adjectives for anybody's view that are helpful, and if they're not helpful, then they're not helpful. Let's move it on. Yeah. But I'm more interested in what the individual person believes, and that's why I'm mm-hmm. really curious about, like I said, what do you think the term? And yeah. How do you use that term, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I agree with you that I use that term sparingly to help, sort of presuppositionalize the the concept because right. in the end I do look back at what does the text actually say? Where's it saying in the original context in the original language? And then I look to things like the Westminster confession or the Belgic, the Belgic articles or um, Scottish confession, 1689. I, I'm, re- I'm, I'm able to list all these off because I just wrote a doctrine of Christ paper for, uh, for um, seminary. So I'm thinking through these confessional statements. I look to them well, because they, because this, this yeah. is very helpful. Why do you read the, are, the, are those creeds, those confessions authoritative you for you and why? Well, yeah, I was, I was getting that. that basically oh, sorry, I, sorry. I look at those confessional statements to help sort of, um, well, for one, they, they've done a lot of the research for me. So they've, they've been able to collect the passages that help me to better understand why it is I'm saying I believe um, rather than, well, geez, hundred years ago, okay. sitting down with 16 books and going, okay, I'm looking for this word. <laughs> and you just start flipping through 16 books. Now you have Google, but even Google is, hits and misses when you're trying to look for them specific. If you go to the confessional statements, at least the ones that are cataloged well, like, um, Chapter one, article six will have the statement they they came to agreement upon and then a list of all the passages that confirm what they're saying. And so you can at least go, okay, I believe gotcha. that um, you know, God is three persons, three distinct persons, you know, okay, now where does how do we get that from scripture? Here's a list of scripture pieces that you can go to and go, okay, this is why I believe what I believe, because of what scripture says. This these Westminster divines or however you want to mentioned their their grouping um they just did the, they did all the debate for me and i think for me it, it's a humbling reminder that i'm not the smartest person and, that and, there are people smarter than me that came before me um that and that that maybe that's just a generational difference because i'm surrounded by so many people in my age bracket that <laughs> they're like well well what how can God exist if, you know, there's evil in the world? It's like, oh my gosh, right. you're the first person that's ever thought of theodicy. No, uh, you right. yeah. Like yeah. we've had this conversation for yeah. 2000 years, not that's including right. Old Testament discussions. That's right. So yeah. no, you're not that smart. You're not that brilliant. Theodicy is not a new thing. Christians haven't thought about this before. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've seen the YouTube you can, videos. Yeah. Answer me this. <laughs> How do you want me to answer? Do you want me to answer it from the the Presbyterian tradition, from the Methodist tradition, from the Catholic Aquinas, tradition? Augustine, you Jesus, what do you, yeah, I mean, which which way do you want me to answer that question? And how far down this rabbit hole do you want to go? You want to go? Like, I don't want to talk about. Um, it. I just don't want to believe in it. 
Um, yeah, let's just let's get down to the, again. That's for me why I like presuppositionalist apologetics. It's like, okay, you say that it's because of theodicy. Let's get to the real thing, which is not that at all. You just mm. simply don't want to give up control of your life to something else. That's really what it comes down to. Like, let's just barrel past all of your BS and get mm. to your, the logical conclusion of, I don't want to believe that someone somewhere else actually controls my life. I want to be in control. It's, it's me. I am me. I am the control. Like, let's just get to that. Let's get through all this other stuff you're talking I, about. I've met a lot of people like that. Not all, but a lot. Um, back to the confessions. So thank you. So you like the confessions yeah. because they help you use vocabulary that you already believe in and scripture verses. Yeah, and so they're forth. smarter than me. Did you, for, for what I really appreciate about that, which most Protestant, free church Protestants particularly are mm. not known for doing this because they're not trained to do it, which yeah. is to look into the history of the church for coming to conclusions of what they believe. Mm-hmm. For example, most free church Protestants do not, by free church in my podcast, okay, listeners, yeah. free church means a, um, a church tradition that does not have a kind of church hierarchy. So we do not report mm. to a district superintendent or a bishop or right. elder that are above us. Yeah. And so it's free church because we're autonomous congregations. We do not report mm. to authority figures above us. No one above us can also tell us what to do. That also means above, no one holds us accountable. No one sets our doctrine for us. Right. Uh, free church traditions have loose associations, meaning they can go mm. in and out of association. They can, quote, be friends with other Christian churches whenever they want to and leave it whenever they want right. to. No one's going to be fussed at. They can't be and so forth. It's Protestant because it's not Roman Catholic or Orthodox. It's part of the right. Protestant Reformation of the 15th, 16th centuries. Right, um, right. So something I appreciate about what you're doing that most free church Protestants do not do because they're ignorant is they don't know anything about church history. And I was saying, for example, they don't know anything about the Trinity or any of the creeds or why they matter. And so one of the classes I've taught for years is I do a short pastor study on the Nicene, uh, the, or rather Trinity. Mm-hmm. And I'll go through, not the, all the creeds per se, but some of them. The ones that and are important. I didn't know junk about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I do Trinitarian controversies and so forth. And that was my, one of my emphasis in my PhD. And I didn't know junk about it either to my PhD. I mean, it was it was brand new. So all that to say, yeah. I appreciate when people do go to people in the past who have thought these things through. And that doesn't oh, yeah. mean we have to find everything persuasive, but we, man, there's some smart people and we think it through. And I, I've learned ideas from Augustine. I disagree with most of what he said, but I've learned some things. And Gregory of Nazis, Gregory of Nancy, all these people, Nazianzus and Nissa, these people uh, were brilliant and they were very informed for their time. And, you know, but I can tell you exactly why in general, I will never find their exodus is persuasive, including John Calvin, but that's a different story for now. So the great, but let me ask you this quick question. Did you come to this kind of reformed belief before on your, were you not? And then you could, were convinced, were you raised that way? How, how, eh, I mean, arguably I was raised that way just because that's okay. the church I've been in, but. And that was what Presbyterian? Also, yeah. It's, it's right. Yeah. ARP is the denomination that I'm a part of the associate reform Presbyterian. Okay. Um, but this has also just been through years of wrestling through the source material, meaning the Bible, years of reading uh, different books. I mean, especially for my, so my, my degree in Bible from Erskine was 30 hours of, I think most of them were three to 400 level courses. I took some seminary courses and I've got my, my courses now. I've been taking through seminary. Um, but we, my goodness, one of my classes, 400 level was contemporary theology. And we read, it was a so we had a thing called J term while I was at Erskine, where for the month of January you took basically an entire semester in one month. Um, so we took contemporary theology, a four hundred level course, and I read, my goodness, I must have read fifteen to forty pages a night 
on like heavy duty industrial strength theology, like Paul Tillich, um, like really in really high minded philosophy theology that was just basically mind numbing. And he did it every night and wrote a paper on it to, to be prepared to come to the next class and talk about it. Um, but so I've, I've looked at a lot of other traditions I've looked at. And honestly, the, the, the contemporary theology is really more looking into contemporary heresies, but looking at these people who said they were theologians of the Bible and of Christ mm-hmm. and didn't believe any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at Bart, we looked at Boltman, we looked at Tillich. Um, we looked at a lot of that generation of lots of German thinkers who I think mm-hmm. just thought too much um, and went from, scriptural truth to thinking so hard that they just decompartmentalized everything into nothingness. Um, even, even arguably some of, um, oh shoot, blank on his name. Um, the, uh, the German Christian pastor who was imprisoned, um, tried to kill Hitler. Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer yes. Even yeah. Bonhoeffer had some stuff that became a little bit iffy theologically um, just because, and again, he, who knows he, if he had not died, that may not have been a problem. The same thing for C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis began to dabble in some universalism, um, towards the end of his, at least towards the end of mere Christianity. It basically all but embraced universalism. Um, but, uh, I just kind of believe that I hate the word belief. Cause again, that makes me think makes, makes other people think that I'm putting these commentaries or these confessions, on the symbol of the Bible. But I just think that they, these people looked at scripture the best and they give me a good foundation to then look at people smarter than myself when I want to go look at the scriptures because I'm not the smartest person. So if I just trusted myself to go to the original text exegete to, to try and parse out what it said, I haven't spent 40 years doing this. Um, like someone like John Calvin or like John Knox or like Martin Luther or like Augustine, like these people who spent decades because they didn't have all the distractions we have today. They sure. just spent their days studying um, and translating yeah. and ministering in times that were much different than ours. I mean, the, the reformers of the original sect, like the Luthers and the Calvins and the Zwinglies and all of them, they were living in a time when they really had to kind of fear for their lives while they were doing exegesis and doing translation and doing ministry yeah. and doing all this stuff. Um, whereas today, we're honestly really comfortable. Um, we get to sort of do all our stuff by our own will. And because we really think it's fun or we like it, or we want to teach or we want to preach or something. Whereas they did it because they felt that the church had so fallen away from true scriptural presence that they had no choice, but to do it. Um, if they weren't going to do it, then people were going to be missing out on God. Um, they were going to be relying on these priests and these monks and these people who didn't know scripture but then we're giving it to them um, or they knew it, but it was so clouded in tradition that they had lost what Christ actually was saying. Um, and so I, I look to Westminster confession. I look to the shorter and larger catechisms. I look to, um, you know, these different confessional statements as good sort of uh, tangential things to go to. If I'm like, okay, hold on. So if I'm trying to word what I'm saying in a way that is one correct that reflects scripture well because these people struggled through it, but two also that uses correct terminology. There's one thing that uh, our systematics professor was talking with us about for the doctrine of God, doctrine of Christ is you have to be very specific. The words you use when you're talking about three persons, you can't say three, three, something else because then you start to get into these heresies that they were directly opposing. Um, Or 
like the Christological heresies, all, all that all that kind of stuff. And part of the reason we write these doctrinal statements in our systematics classes is to make us struggle through and wrestle through what do you believe yeah. and how can you defend it? Like if you're going to, so part of this, um, this doctrine of Christ paper I've been writing is you have to walk through the, the heresies of, of Christology so that you can, you can speak to them and you can mm-hmm. be prepared to, if you're talking with somebody, um, to, to quote the, the YouTube videos about the Trinity, like, no, Patrick, that's, that's docetism. You can't yeah. say that. <laughs> like that sort of thing. You need to be able to know historically, okay, right. people have already tried the whole four leaf clover or the uh, right. or water vapor yeah. ice or um, that kind of stuff. Like that's all heresy. And here's why. Um, here's all of the, the scripture that speaks Speaking to of Olson, Roger Olson wrote a book. He did a presentation in a book on basically ancient heresies and how they show up to the church today. It's a oh, really man. good book. I mean, it's nerdy, but it's a really good book. He gives a good history. Best kind of I book. Mean, yeah, best kind of book ever. <laughs> <laughs> the only kind of good. Yeah. But, um, nerdy, but it's theology. really good. I thought to me, it's like to me, and when I was reading, I think this should be required reading. This should be requiring, mm. particularly for church leaders, right? Because if they don't have doctor degrees in it, and I would have known any of it probably. I mean, minimal. Had didn't have a PhD in the field. I mean, he's right. he's a historical theologian by trade, as I am. Uh, mm-hmm. But I remember thinking over and over and over, no one knows this. No, I mean, so I'm glad he wrote the book because it's for lay people. Yeah. I'll say this last thing and wrap because I want to talk about your podcast and we'll wrap up. Um, yeah. The the one thing about and and maybe in the future, uh, I'd be interested to hear more of your take on exegesis of those passages and and mm-hmm. explore some distinction on sovereignty and so forth. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty fun. confident. I'm pretty confident the conclusions won't be novel for either one of us. Um, but it, but I think for my podcast or maybe your podcast listeners too, I think yeah. it'll be informative. Uh, it might save them a lot of time. And I like doing that for people. I like help save yeah. them time to say, Oh, I never it's thought of the point of education. I, I like that's, that's, yeah, I really, I like that a lot. And um, the, the biggest, the biggest reason why, I don't find almost any of those thinkers. And I mean, I, so there's some big thinkers. I'm trying to say this mm-hmm. as colloquial as I can. Uh, early church fathers, uh, I read tons of them throughout my PhD. And since then I have, but one thing they all have in common is none of them knew what we now call the historical critical method. None of them knew it. Mm-hmm. The, there, are, there are pieces of it. There are glimpses of it. But that method was not really developed until the 19th and, of course, certainly early 20th century. And I'm just convinced, and now it's the dominant model. I mean, every single biblicist on the planet knows that by heart. And then you also can do things like narrative uh, biblicism. And there's all kinds of different ways to interpretation, uh, which we have to study at PC level two, you know, the way black interpretation, gender, and you know, gay and lesbian interpretation, depending on the school right. you go to. Yeah. But what they all have, everybody knows that the, the, everyone says, well, the one you really find the most when it comes to historians is the historical critical method. And that's what they were very bad at. They didn't know how to do it. And because mm-hmm. I am so convinced, others mm-hmm. might say brainwashed and conditioned, but I'm so convinced that the historical critical method is the best method you, to use when attempting to interpret the text. I already go to these really good, smart people. I'm already, I'm already making a face going, eh. I'll read you, but you're probably going to be wrong, or at least you're probably not going to convince me at all. And that happens over and over and over, whether it's, I mean, good Augustine or Origen, he has a little bad history, but no matter who it is, Thomas Aquinas, right. on and on it goes. I say, well, I preach John Calvin. When I read John Calvin, sometimes I go, well, that's a good theological point. And I go, oh, no, John, no, John. I talked to John like that. 
Jean. Jean. Because he's French. Jean. Jean. Um, Jean Calvin. I say, no, Jean. That is not like the Catholics. No, John, he's not talking about Catholics. That's the Apostle Paul. Catholics don't exist. Stop talking about the Catholics. No, Galatians has nothing to do with Calvinism. I mean, it has nothing to do with uh, indulgences. No, John, I remember, but I'm thinking, hmm. see, all this stuff would never be said. If you said anything close to that in intro to 101 Bible study in a normal university today, right, you get a horrible grade. Hmm. You'd say, no, 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 that's not what Paul meant. That's not what Jesus meant. So it's ripped out of context. And so even things like Westminster Confession, and on and on, I've read so many of these things before. And I looked at the citations, and this goes for anything. I mean, this goes from Methodist creeds, Baptist creeds, whether they call them creeds or not, whether the confessions mm-hmm. or whatever. You look at their Bible verse, and I, that's ripped out of content. That was not Jesus' point. Or, but, but they're, I they're think it'd first, be interesting to, to pull a couple of these out and, and talk through them. Because yeah, I, I love to do that and see. Now, that, of course, as you and I've said this 100,000 times on a podcast, <laughs> I might be wrong. But I'm right. saying is I'm, I'm showing my cards, and that is to say yeah. I tell everybody, if you're going to persuade me, I need to – be dem- needs to demonstrate you need to demonstrate that that's what they thought of in the ancient world so when i yeah you, or, and that's with the context historical literary so saying right, right, right. god hardened his heart does not mean calvinism is true it means so no no that doesn't you can't go from there to you have to go to what what did it mean what are the yeah. Hebrew mean, that kind of stuff i'm not saying it can't fit into to that system uh and right, that works right. for anything that work i don't care what the uh I, i'm just bullheaded that way to say, wait a second. And then, and then I'm also, that, that's the, I'm saying, so for me in general, that's one thing I already have quote against all ancient thinkers before the 19th century yeah. is they didn't use as a method what I find uh, the most persuasive. And I know if I were born 300 years ago, I wouldn't have it either. And I do the best I can. I get it. But nevertheless, right. you know, it's like now we have a theory for gravity. Now that we have it, uh-huh. we got to use it. And, uh, but anyway, I'll, but, yeah. but lead into, if I can real quick, lead into, uh, you're starting a podcast mm-hmm. and I fully yeah. love what you're <laughs> attempting to accomplish in your podcast. Uh, and right. can well, you talk it. very briefly about that and yeah. what is it called and where can people find it? Yeah. So, um, by the time this one launches this, this episode with you, actually, I don't know. It depends. Um, the one that we're going to end up recording later, it'll, it'll be a little bit later in my, my, uh, my, oh my gosh, my brain. My catalog, I guess you could say, uh, but it's going to be called Cinder and Hops. <laughs> uh, the goal of Cinder and Hops is to encourage conversation. Um, so many people today don't want to do that. They just want to have their opinion, spout their opinion, and then walk away. Um, I was actually just in the in the process of talking with people today on Facebook. Um, my cousin-in-law and some other people talking with her about the whole COVID situation, which is a good uh, translation later into the conversation we'll have a little little bit, um, which that's kind of my podcast to listen to more about. But basically, so many people want to be like, well, here's this article, scathing headline, and then they post it, no commentary, unwilling to converse in in the comment thread. No, just if you're not going to talk, just don't don't do it. If you don't want to talk about it and have discussion and be like, okay, I may not agree with you, I may not even convince you, that's okay. In the end, the goal is we need to be able to talk. And we are so walked away from being able to talk in our culture today. Um, so the goal of the conversations in Cinder and Hops are going to be either those, either these kind of conversations where there are going to be some good back and forth where in the end, maybe we won't agree on a lot. But my hope is that if we don't agree, we'll find something to agree on. Or it'll be conversations about um, small business, about how to grow your business, about how to learn more, how to grow in other aspects. Um, but I personally feel like I've had some of my best conversations with a buddy at night with a beer and a cigar 
and your, your guard comes down, you're able to just sort of have a conversation openly. And so that's what center hop seeks to do is to emulate that. And so once we get out over this whole lockdown thing, I'll have a fire pit. We'll sit down with somebody actually share fellowship time and talk. And of course I have Erskine conversations that I do host for Erskine. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I I think about the Facebook idea. You're right. I I have noticed that if I post something, which I haven't in a long time because I can't, it just, it infuriates. Well, it's vexing. It's just vexing. Uh, I have to say something on the lines of this is just a joke. I'm not having comments or something, you know, because people right in my experience don't ask follow-up questions. It's just, that's a stupid, you're just a, in other words, it ends up right in this attack mode. And, and the reverse yeah. is also true, which is to say, if I ask a person, I mean, one guy, his feelings crushed when he said some about prayer and it was in a pride. And I go, why do you think that? And this guy was a, on the Bible faculty at a school. And I thought, of anybody who would like to have, a, conversation. have a discussion. Yeah. It was just a discussion. I would say, well, I don't, I don't find that convincing because why do you think this? And why do you think that? And he ended up private message messaging me and saying, why are you attacking me personally? Like what, how'd this get about you all of a sudden? I never talked to me. I thought this is it. But I thought it has to be indicative oh my gosh. of the culture where I can't just ask a question. I mean, I'm really asking right. without like, don't picture me screaming blood faced at the screen. When I type, it's not all caps. I, it's not all caps. <laughs> I'm not my in-laws who type. Right. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. I'm not my grandparents. Good right. heavens, man. Well, <laughs> God bless you and your efforts to have uh, that conversation. And I have a lot of hope. I really do. I really do have, I'm optimistic about, uh, this sounds like an old person to say this, but your generation, those who are in the, tw- I'm really, you know, teenage, 20s, been old. Uh, be- I have hope because there is more of a movement. I think the pendulum's gone so far over that you have people like Dennis Prager, Ben Shapiro, and others uh, who, now they have some strong opinions, but they're able to have, uh, what's his name, uh, Ruben? Yep, uh, they're able to talk. They're and able they're to have, willing, and they want to talk. And they want to. And they have such a massive influence and in following mm-hmm. that uh, Jordan Peterson, the people who have yep. a dialogue, I really think it's it's a new day. And when Candace Owens becomes president one day, I think she's going to help that influence. So I just do, yeah. I think it's going to be, I think the new trajectory. My son's age, he loves talking about that stuff now. He Good. he'll get it, he'll he listens to Shapiro and stuff all the time. Uh, but I, I love this often. Yeah. This last thing, you know, Dennis Prager. I love Prager. Mm-hmm. Uh, very articulate man, Jewish man, serves on a Christian radio station, and yeah. uh, and he says when he had dialogues with people, people disagree with you know for 40, 50 years. He'll tell them my goal is to clarify, is to clarify where we're at, where I'm at, where you're at. And I've always yep. appreciated that goal to say at minimum, and I would say at minimum, um, yeah. but that is so good. It's just healthy and say, can we leave and go, yeah, I see that differently, but man, yeah, whatever it is. So I, I'm, I have We're support very now. much your, your efforts to, yeah. and I certainly want the best at Erskine for you. And um, well, I really I appreciate, really appreciate, appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having good me. Job, the fun. other David. <laughs> the other David Pendergrass. I was going to say the original, but I guess I'm older. So I don't know. How old yeah, are you? you? Are. I will be 30 uh, this week. 30. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. Thanks. 25th. 20. That's yep. my wife's Birth birthday. The perfect day. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's, no, it's not. <laughs> you take that back. It is. <laughs> oh my God. She turns. Yep. 25th. April 25th. Yeah. yeah 25th. Yeah. She turns. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. hundred. Yeah. 25th. That's yeah. funny. That is hilarious. Sure is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, well, I'll leave. I will finish this with one other funny David Michael story. So my, I have a good friend, my best friend from college is also a David Michael. 
and his wow. birthday was the 26th of April. Wow. The year before me. So wow. it is, there's just something about this, this set of names that just seems to have been popular that's, and seems to that's awesome, just follow man. me around. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate you having me on and I look forward to Absolutely. talking more. Absolutely. Everybody check out, what's your podcast name again? It's called Cinder and Hops. Um, you can find it on Instagram. You can find it on Facebook. I'll have a YouTube channel with the videos we do. Um, and of course, podcasts where you listen to podcasts. All right, brother. Thanks. God bless me. Thanks for joining in on Cinder and Hops. If you enjoyed the conversation, had any follow-up input, or just wanted to say hey, be sure to hit me up on Facebook or emailing me at cinderandhops at gmail.com. As always, hit that subscribe button, interact with our social media posts, and be sure to leave a five-star review. Each of those things really helps to spread the word and lets me know that you like what's going on. Until next time, keep those conversations rolling. Thank you.